Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, welcome to Behind the Brands. So here we are, episode number 17. And if you enjoy this show or any of the other previous shows, please do me a favor. Why don't you pop on over to iTunes? Hopefully you can leave me a review, which will really help with the algorithms, apparently, so they say. Anyway, that's enough about that. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in and listening to today's talk with Kerry Wilde, the soul stylist. And Kerry's got a huge amount of experience in the industry, and she basically reached a point in her career where she wanted to change her own viewpoint of clothing and now she works with women to develop a much stronger connection with regards to sustainability and also she champions female empowerment she's a lovely soul a brilliant communicator and uh, i hope you're really going to enjoy this one so let's jump straight in so a massive behind the brands welcome to kerry wild hello kerry how are you are you well Hi, Warren. So honoured to be here. Thank you for inviting oh, me. Very, very kind. Well, listen, I'm I'm absolutely delighted. We've known each other for not that long, really, but we've we've shared lots and lots of insights to the industry and life in general across lots of different <laughs> sectors and such forth. So I wanted to get you on the podcast because you've got an amazing history with some incredible insight, really, to the brands per se and the industry, the way it works, fast fashion and, and all that experience. So mm. do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to now before we delve a little deeper what you up to yeah I'm a personal soul stylist now so what that means is working with women predominantly um, to really help them come home to their bodies and so that includes a lot of body self-acceptance and um, many kind of devotional practices to really love themselves so there's a real empowerment piece within the work and also be able to dress with a sense of freedom and liberation. So I'll explain my background in a bit mm. more detail so that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, but it's really bringing spirituality and well-being and personal development in line with uh, styling and fashion and bridging those that gap, really. So clothing holds meaning and value to the women that are wearing it. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it really is. You know, when when you started telling me about what you do and the way that you operate and, you know, there's a big thing now about inclusivity and diversity and empowerment and mindfulness and and obviously style, which is obviously what brought us into the industry. But what I love about your work is is this melting pot, strengthening women's confidence and everything else you know it's a, it's a wonderful story and like you say we will cover all that later on in the in the show but um have you always been interested in fashion Kerry has it always been something around you as, as a young girl or not yeah I mean I was born in the 70s late 70s and mm-hmm. 
I think, you know, I was born into a very colourful house, <laughs> orange right. curtains, swirly, wow. swirly furniture, patterns everywhere. You know, the 70s, it was kind of, we were engrossed in that kind of very, um, yeah, retro style um, furniture. And and so I think go, coming in as, as a 70s kid and going then into the 80s, it was all about colour and yeah. um, texture and my mum had an amazing collection of clothes. So I was really born into lots of, um, a lineage of dressmakers. So there were mm -hmm. always boxes of um, fabrics and threads and, and like sewing boxes everywhere. So, mm. so that exploration as a very young child became my form of play and okay. imagination so I used to enter my mum's wardrobe like it was the church we didn't go to church so it was kind of like wow and it became like my place of hiding but also a place of like exploring with different materials and dressing up was really my my favorite thing to do as a child so wow. dancing and dressing up and I started to dance on stage at the age of three so wow. I joined a dance group and I danced four times a week and it was you know I got all my ballet awards and all of mm. that so it became you know an expression of becoming something different someone yeah. else and wearing the mask um almost like became becoming um like my you know I become Madonna to me in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. I'd become yeah. Grace Jones it was kind yeah. of like clothing and dance became a form of being able to embody somebody else and okay. in that moment I was I was somebody else wow mm. it must have been amazing you know and again you know you look at that whole 70s feel and, and how everything's kind of come back again you know and, and I'm sure there are people millennials now with who would die for orange curtains and <laughs> and spiral fabric on their sofa you know it's so on trend at the moment and what was was there a lot of music in your house as well Kerry was that a big yeah. influence yeah, so my I grew up with my granddad, and he was a jazz pianist. Right. So he would he would work in um, Rolls Royce making the jet engines, and he would also work two jobs. So he would then go out to play the piano at night. Right. Okay. So he was a jazz pianist, and so every, you know you'd hear him tinkling the ivories every day. And then I grew up with my mum, who was also really into like rootsy reggae um real kind of like what they called the the kind of Motown but really she got really into that kind of rootsy reggae mm. vibe and then she ended up marrying my stepdad who's um so my uncle became Neville from the specials so I wow I, I was at top of the pops in 82 with oh. my with my <laughs> yellow BBC towel <laughs> and um cheering on the specials so oh, you know having that influence on my life it was like wow the scar scene in in terms of fashion was yeah, yeah it was a big um yeah iconic moment in fashion really and that, yeah, that yeah, yeah. mixing of you know the skinheads and and the the Rastafarians and the the blacks and the whites and all yeah. of that melting pot of diversity yeah. in Coventry, yeah. which is where I grew up. Okay, it was it was really like part of my an imprint that me meant a lot to me when it came to style and fashion and also being a mixed race woman. Mm. So really, I embody 
um you know both of those cultures within me so wow that's safe that's so so cool and you're and you're absolutely right culturally there was a lot going on there wasn't there and I think you know obviously I've I've got I've got three kids myself and I know you've got a couple of boys but I've had this conversation with another guest of how you know how people it seems to me as if it was much richer in those days you know there was so much more going on influence wise and culturally wise and and everyone was trying to identify themselves and find themselves, you know, and um, and that's what you do for women now. You help them find themselves, which is which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So when you so obviously you grew up in Coventry <laughs> yeah. and you had this wonderful array of colour around you. Did you think to yourself, I want to be in fashion? I mean, what what did you do after school? Did you go to did you study? Did, what else did you do? Yeah, I mean, art was always my my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really studied sculpture at college. Um, I did a foundation course at Coventry University and sculpture was my my kind of um, vehicle for expressing my art mm-hmm. um, but also fabrication so I used to do a lot of batik and, and write poetry there was a lot of um, influence of Louise Bourgeois um, an amazing artist and 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 feminist really of her time, like yeah. quite an iconic performance artist. So I really loved the exploration of these um, taboo storylines that weren't really out there being talked about, and the way art was a real vehicle for um, for these concepts to come to life and actually to change lives through through a sculpture or through a mm. piece of visual art where somebody can um, experience it and then it can leave you know leave an imprint or activate them in a certain way so really art was my 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 path yeah and um you know 3d art so that included textiles as well but it wasn't fashion wasn't my kind of my main thing if you like but Mm -hmm. I also worked in Miss Selfridge as a Saturday girl from a very early age so I was always around fashion and it was always a big part of my identity so I really followed trend I was all about buying the newest you know the newest trend (laughs) and you know that whole culture of house music and going out at at the weekend it was such a big part of my life like what are we going to wear next you know Mm. we'd start planning the outfits in the middle of the week (laughs) it was a huge deal to go out on on the on the weekend so yeah so, and yeah. what, what, what was your first job in the trade as such then? What, how did you kind of break into the, the other side of, of, of retail and, and the trade? Do you mean my first job after university? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of thing yeah. were you doing? Because I was going to say my first job was when I was 15, I used to travel from Coventry to Birmingham High Street and work in Barrett's shoe store okay. on a Saturday <laughs> because I couldn't get a job in Coventry. And so I was there on the high street with, and it was just, I think I was paid a pittance I mean it was just ridiculous <laughs> but and it was the worst job ever but <laughs> but I was devoted to, to that Saturday job and um mm. and yeah so like working you know in a shoe store in yeah in Birmingham was just mental today yeah. But yeah my first job after uni I mean I then went on to study clothing studies which was a quite an old um industry kind of based course in Nottingham okay. Nottingham Kent, yeah where where it was for and it was called clothing studies until I got there and then they they renamed it as fashion and textiles management which meant it incorporated the supply chain management it incorporated really um pattern cutting Mm -hmm. you got to learn about 
industry things and so it's a sandwich course and and actually got a placement at Arcadia Group within that course okay so I went to London at 21 so that was like wow. my first placement what well, industrial placement was in the Arcadia this is in Burner Street yeah <laughs> in, that's in- that's a big thing isn't it you know I mean to go down into the smoke as we call it and yeah. you know and to immerse yourself in that whole right in the hub of it all really what was yeah. that like as a, as a as a youngster as such really scary (laughs) I mean mean, going because you see you know when you're working in retail it's a whole different ball game to Mm -hmm. working in the head office yeah so really you know being in those huge offices virtually on so you know the borders of Soho being on Oxford Street it was huge to me I mean I was 20 20 21 when I Mm -hmm. when I moved there um but I learned so much. I mean, standing next to that fax machine day after day, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that basically was yeah. part, you know, massive part of my job. Yeah. Um, faxing China, thinking who, who the hell are these people on the other <laughs> side? What am I doing? You know, yeah. um, waiting for the fax to come back through. Um, yeah, I'm showing my age now, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> there will be people listening to this that have no idea what we're talking about. You I need know. to Google it. You need to Google it, folks. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it was really an amazing, an amazing way to really have an insight into the industry. However, working for a huge retailer like that, you're a tiny cog in the wheel. So I felt actually my second job, where it was a much smaller design office, mm-hmm. really gave me the insight you know into doing so much more as part of my role meant that I could see the reality of what was happening behind the scenes if you like Mm -hmm. whereas when I think you're in a huge office where there's so many people doing um different you know there's logistics over there they might be on the third floor you don't really know what they do you are just literally doing this role Mm -hmm. as a garment technologist which was my role um you haven't got the insight into the full picture of the industry so yeah. I found going to a smaller office after that really did give me that insight and an understanding of supplier capabilities and and really why you know we were coming up against problems maybe within the Arcadia group but we were overriding it because of because of the strength of being such a big brand we would just yeah. say just do it or, yeah. or go <laughs> you yeah. know so, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and were you involved heavily in in I mean so you were doing garment tech we was there any other elements as you did you progress through the company how long were you there for were you there quite a while or not um I was just there for two years with okay so I went okay. back to university and then I went back again but when I got there they they stripped out the whole junior level so I, I don't know they were having a reshuffle so they didn't there was nowhere for me to go after another year so mm-hmm. I then went to USC, which was um, a Scottish Glaswegian company um, and worked for their own brand and worked in their design office there, which was Mm -hmm. an amazing insight into, you know, being in a smaller company. It really does help you to see, oh, logistics are shouting to that person over there. Like there's literally people and hearing those kind of dialogues really does give you a, a deeper understanding of how the industry works yeah yeah yeah. and which other brands have you worked is there anyone else that you've kind of had a a little partaking of yeah I've worked for Oasis which okay um which is a women's wear brand in the UK before they were brought out by Mosaic Group I'm not sure who owns them now but Mm -hmm. they were a really lovely company to work for actually 
And then I worked for All Saints. Okay. And I worked for George Asda. So yeah, I've worked wow, for okay. lots of big kind of yeah. people. And then I've just had lots of different contract kind of jobs at different at different companies as well, small yeah. companies, large companies. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's mm. cool. So obviously you've got a real deep dive insight to fast fashion and what it was all about really yeah. and I know you know I, I know how passionate you are about sustainability and having a purpose with regards to producing product which again you know we can talk a little bit more because that is kind of the backbone to your business really isn't it it's what you're all about you know mm. emotionally spiritually it's you know it, it's it's your moral compass on on most things and it's, it it's is, really interesting yeah. to kind of get more of a an understanding of that so um what would you say is is that what we, what were the challenging things for you from a moral perspective then Kerry were you were you during those jobs were you thinking ah this really doesn't sit well with me or was that something that came a little later yeah i think you know in many of my roles in the early days there was not the budget to allow you to go and see the factories so mm-hmm. even though you're working so closely with the factories you're not necessarily you haven't maybe visited the factory you mm-hmm. don't really fully understand what their capabilities are how everything runs so in some respects I felt like I was doing my job blind so I would right. read the reports I would say right they were you know they were ethically reported on two years ago that's still within the frame you know the framework and the time frame of of us um, appreciating that that report is still valid mm-hmm. so I would go through the whole report and then say right okay and now I understand my factory yeah. however I didn't fully understand I didn't really understand the culture I didn't understand what they may be um who these people were mm-hmm. you know and so I, I think you know it's vital that anybody that's in a buying position or a or or anybody that works for a company needs to be visiting the people on the other side needs to just go and see them have a conversation Mm -hmm. really understand culturally where they're coming from Mm -hmm. spiritually you know what machinery they they have what the factory looks like how it runs what it looks like in the morning as opposed to in the evening like you need to have that clarity of what Mm -hmm. happens and I did start to gain that as I became more senior and and actually different companies work in different ways so they were like go out to the factory more and more which was brilliant mm-hmm. um but I think when sometimes when you're in junior more junior roles you don't get to go to these you know these places but it's really vital because you are still a decision maker within a company mm. and what what was your opinions like when you actually went to the factories was 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 it, was it a good experience for you initially or have you got a mixed bag of emotions that you had there or was it was it very positive I don't know what what was your general take on it I remember my first trip to India and I was just absolutely shocked at the poverty um, Mm -hmm. disparity and just feeling like, wow, you know, I did not realize how, how different they are living to to me over here, you know, and that is very naive maybe and, and a bit ignorant, but actually until you've been and you see it, you can't viscerally feel it necessarily. You may have seen things on the news or watched documentaries, but actually seeing it in real life was a whole nother, a whole nother ball game. Yeah. So I felt like I was, you know, feeling a lot of trauma from just just the experience of being in a big four by four, 
driving down the road saying, don't don't look at those people, ignore them. They're, right. the, lower, they're the lower class. Mm. We are going to the factory and, and, you know, just being like, what is going on around me? Yeah. Outside of this bubble that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so, and then going to the factory and, and wanting to have, you know, these really connective conversations, which I did, mm-hmm. but but feeling like the people in the factories were told what to say. And and so feeling there's a, con- a constriction of them being truly authentically them. Yeah. And so I would ask questions. So tell me about your home, like what's going on? How many children? What, you know, I wanted to understand who these people were. And yet they were sometimes would ignore me, look really sad. I would feel a, vi- a vibration of something going on that I that I couldn't get to got you so I um alongside my career I also studied Reiki so I went to India myself on holiday and I I met a Reiki healer and I studied energetic healing practices because I always felt a calling for something else and actually I had that calling for um you know, self-help. And I studied Louise Hay in my very early 20s. So I felt there's something more to life than just this nine to five corporate, getting drunk, all of the stuff. So I kind of woke up quite young to the fact that I wanted to be well and I wanted Mm. to heal myself. So I studied that at 24. And then side by side, I had the, the kind of very intensive corporate world of fashion which we know can just burn you out sometimes yeah and then I also had and held this energy healing practice and studied yoga and studied meditation so my life there were these two parallel worlds that were kind of going I was living side by side if you like mm-hmm. um and so when I used to go to the factories I felt a vibration energetically I felt I suddenly felt really depleted very drained and I didn't really I couldn't identify what that feeling was but something felt amiss and at that point I didn't really understand sustainable fashion I didn't yeah. really understand the value system of how what we've created mm-hmm. through this you know beast of fast fashion and what buy use and dump that model looks like and and what we were doing to the environment so yeah. I really didn't know that when I was visiting these factories, yet on a micro level inside, I felt really ill. And it, right. and it used to make me, I came back to the, you know, back to the UK, back to my corporate busy lifestyle. And I would feel so unhappy and so mm. drained and depleted from the experience of going to the factories because I knew we were exploiting people. I knew that we were taking and hardly giving back. I knew that we were pushing them on margins that were unachievable and that would make them have to work overtime and force the labor, you know, force them to work harder because we wanted it in very short delivery times and we would pull deliveries forward and really squeeze and put so much pressure on these people that I was visiting. So I would sometimes have to go with an agenda, um, a quality agenda, or I would have to pick apart um certain certain orders so think some of the things that I was meant you know given as tasks to do were quite unethical actually so I was not feeling I was not going home feeling good about myself at all so yeah I really I started going out to the factories and you know what I saw felt like a mismatch between Mm -hmm. 
the way we were treating factories, the way we were squeezing them so heavily on price, on lead times. And when I actually went to the factories, I was seeing really real humans, you know, not just not just dates in the critical path, not just, um, you know, trims and 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 fabrics and and product and, you know, sealing um, samples. This was real humans at the Mm. end of the line that were making Mm -hmm. this product, not robots, Mm -hmm. not pure automation. This is human life. So when I was in the factories, it felt like um well you know we know the heat i don't know if if you visited factories you know the mm-hmm. what the environment it's like there is a lot of heat and humidity and yeah. um different smells a whole a whole other world compared mm. to the shop you know the retail kind of um environment so actually being in in the environment of the factories and and having to and having to be there for sometimes all day you know being taken around being shown things that were an issue and they were mm-hmm. showing me you know we're thinking of solving it this way and I would have to do a lot of problem solving with the factories but when I was having conversations with some of the 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 people I was feeling this energy that something was wasn't right something didn't feel um peaceful or calm within their energy you know it mm. felt like they were silenced or they couldn't tell me everything or there was something behind the eyes that looked sorrowful and I I used to come away feeling completely drained from those trips I mean it is sometimes it was a mammoth trip anyway we'd have to get lots and lots of factories into one into one um 10 day kind of cycle yeah and you would kind of be spat out and you would be back in the office sitting at your desk wow like what just happened yeah and yeah. again i would still hear the the same conversations well they need to bring that forward you know we just need the, we need that stock in because we yeah. need to, you know we need it to push it out yeah. we need them to um give us a discount we need them to you know get that make that margin and because we were and I did work for some of the really big, big guys in the industry. Mm-hmm. We behaved in a way that we were in control. We ha- we held the power, the buying power, because we were buying hundreds of thousands of pieces. So that factory wasn't going to give up that work and they would do exactly what we wanted. Yeah. But understanding my value system and my morality around um, pushing people to do something like maybe forcing labor like maybe making their workers stay overtime because we're telling them we need it to come forward we need that stock in early we need to you know I know now the implications of what we were of how we were behaving Mm -hmm. as an organization with these you know smaller players these you know these factories sometimes big big factories as well but the implication would come down to that person the life at the end of it who maybe is a woman who maybe has responsibilities of so many children Mm -hmm. who maybe needs a break and maybe Mm -hmm. needs to visit a doctor's one day maybe needs to be paid a lot more so that Mm -hmm. she can afford um the cost of living in her own in in her own um country yeah So, so really when I started to have you know I had children while I was had a career as well I started to feel, wow, what are we doing here? What mm. am I doing? What is my yeah. role in all of this? Yeah. Why yeah. am I being told to go out with an agenda to a factory 
to push them even harder mm-hmm. when I don't believe it's right. Um, yeah. yeah. So do you think just on that then, do you think it was a question of you looking at those circumstances and shaping your your business in its in its early stages at that time, I would imagine, because it was probably just conceptual, if I'm probably right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was your way of making people, whether it's women or men or whoever, understanding of of the, of the circumstances and using yeah. that knowledge to to obviously help them. Is that is that is that the nucleus of your business? It is. And, you know, I do that through education. So now working with um, I work one to one, but I also Mm -hmm. work with groups. And I had a platform um, a few years ago called Art of Slow, which was all about detox. And I used to run these 40 day detoxes from fast fashion. Mm -hmm. And so and then really brainwashing because I I actually had my babies through hypnobirthing. I understand how the industry hypnotizes us to buy. And so for me, it was a deprogramming from people's neurology around Mm. buying. And so for me, it was like, let's detox. And so, you know, I know that that's quite, you know, big now from what we've seen with Extinction Rebellion, where they're taking a whole year out. And so, but I think to deprogram from from advertising, from the magazine culture that we've been drip fed and absolutely Mm. engaged with from day one, that is a necessary step to to really trans you know transform your perception around needing more clothes needing a new coat needing a new you know do you really mm. and actually it's because in the psyche you're thinking you know it's like oh i need something and and actually it, it's we know that buying is filled a void for many of us and sure. being a, being a woman especially i know that material gain and and you know that for me was I was trained and indoctrinated into my mum used to take me shopping on a Saturday. And that's what we did. We went shopping, she bought new things and then she came home and it was like, that was a leisure activity that I was um, trained into. Mm. And so for me, happiness was, I need more stuff to be happy. And what, what it took for me actually to wake up to sustainability was self-sustainability. Sure, yeah. If I'm not full um, in my cup, mm-hmm. energetically, spiritually, um, you know, physically, if I'm not nourished, nourished and feeling, feeling good and feeling mm. healthy, I can't extend to anything else. I can't yeah. be a good mother. I can't be, uh, have a role in, in these corporate environments if I'm not full, filling my cup yeah that's why I had this holistic well-being lifestyle that went alongside this very intensive corporate lifestyle as well because I don't know how other people did it without that I was like I only do this to stay sane (laughs) 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 I only do yet like they were like you're such a hippie Carrie give me you know let's meditate and I was like I only do this so I don't fall apart. You know? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's amazing. And and what point was it at that point that you just thought, right? I can make a I can make a career out of this. I can. This is what I want to do. This is my destiny. This is my my yeah. calling. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, did, did, was that something that was there a trigger of that? Was there any one thing that you thought, right? This is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. Because your business is, you know, the stylists out there. There are people, you know, the personal shoppers. There's loads of people doing that kind of thing but you kind of do it on a on a different level you know you do you're yeah. doing it more from a and again you've got this amazing insight to the industry which is giving you all that knowledge and empowerment to be able to educate people along the way which is great mm. um 
I'm just really interested, Kerry, though, on your perfect clients. So are you, you know, when you're talking to, because I'm right in saying you only deal with ladies at the moment, but when you're Mm. talking to a lady, are you thinking, I'm going to really, really give this person so much joy out of what I'm doing? Or are you saying, actually, I'm just going to enhance the joy that she's already got? What's What's the mindset behind that? Oh, you've asked me a few questions there, Warren. I'm going to go with the first one. <laughs> I do that. Apologies. I do that. That's me rambling. But That's okay. do what you can do. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So the the awakening or the calling, you know, I always think of this as a spiritual awakening because yeah. that's what that's what I've had through my life. I've had times in the life where it's everything has crumbled and it fit, you know, to everybody else, it's like, fuck, you know, what's mm. going on with Kerry? Something, yeah, yeah. something <laughs> terrible's going on. Yeah. But actually for me it's been a spiritual it's been like a dissolving of okay I'm pivoting into a new evolution of Kerry so and that is kind of what I teach now because I've been through I would say it's like a rebirth I've had many deaths in my life of old Kerry and she's had to die away so that I can really evolve into a greater purpose and what that has looked like so the calling for teaching other people about sustainability or even just lifting the veil on fast fashion Mm, came to friends initially and I would Mm -hmm. say do you know this is how clothing is made you know there's like an excitement to share with anybody that would listen people at you know the bus stop wow you know Mm -hmm. I've just come back from India wow you know your clothing is made in this way it would just be coming rolling off the the tongue in a sense that I wanted to share this information because people didn't know like the general mm. people around me had no idea um and I felt like while I was in the factories I had you know one time I, I had this kind of what I would feel is like a, a light or something came in where I was in front of a woman she was looking at me and we had this dialogue going on between us that was unsaid she was basically saying you need to speak for us you know, I was looking at somebody that was the same age as me, but looked older in a sense through her eyes, much okay. wiser. Yeah. And, I, and it was almost like, you need to be the voice for us. You know, if you do anything, you need to tell us, tell them what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. Because I could sense what was going on, but it was, um, you know, all beyond the veil, beyond reach, because I couldn't sort of say to this woman, I understand, you know, tell me exactly what's happening. She would tell me little subtle things because mm. obviously she was scared. Yeah. Um, and then when I came back, I, I just knew that was my mission was like, I need to be the voice somewhere. Somehow I need to speak this truth. So I started to speak it mm-hmm. and to be honest, I had a, a big burnout in one of my last jobs that was like with, for one of these big fast fashion brands where I had an inner ear disorder called labyrinthitis. And it's quite interesting on a spiritual perspective, whenever you walk a labyrinth, you are walking, it's like a maze-like structure. And I've walked a labyrinth in meditation before and you you have like, you walk through it in contemplation, not really knowing where you're going to end up, but maybe you'll come to the center and it eventually and labyrinth so it's quite symbolic that labyrinthitis came to me when I was in a really high profile role and I was traveling a lot and I had a two-year-old at home and I was being pulled between all of these roles I was you know the good wife role the Mm -hmm. good mother role the Mm -hmm. good 
professional role uh, and you know get, visiting these factories seeing devastation and it was like I was being stretched <laughs> and and I suddenly my ears all the fluid in my inner ear went out of balance I was being sick I was oh, wow. dizzy I couldn't leave my home and it was like you need to stop and mm -hmm. ground and it was almost like an init initiation I call it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like be on the sofa think about what you're doing take a take this time out mm -hmm. and I never had you know it's just like career baby career like let's just keep this thing moving yeah so for me that time was a time of real contemplation of what is next for me mm. I never really thought about me I'd always thought about the progression and and the material gain and and the baby and ticking these boxes so coming home to a very simple way of just contemplation was meditative. It was yeah. like, wow, unraveling. So that was the beginning, really. That was 2010, 2011. Okay. Yeah, that, that was like the beginning of let's unravel this stuff. What are you really feeling? Um, and I started to train in yoga. So I yeah. became a yoga teacher and but styling was always a big part of, of my life, like styling mm -hmm. and expression through clothing. So I would always do lots of vintage shopping. People would always stop me on the street, like, what are you, how have you done this? What's going <laughs> you know, and I'd worked um, in my 20s, I'd done lots of test shoots and I wanted to be a stylist and I gathered a portfolio and I had, um, I worked catwalk, like back uh, backstage catwalk for, mm -hmm. A company called Doll, um, who did like the off-schedule um, shows for London Fashion Week. Okay. So I was doing lots of, and I was, you know, kind of gaining momentum in that, but kind of kept on this garment technology, like my career path, sort of that as a hobby. Um, and as I started to really find myself again and find beauty within myself and understand that I'm not just a robot in a capitalist system. Mm -hmm. Actually, I I want creativity. I deserve um, to feel what is it going on in my body. I'd lived a lot of my life in the higher realms of, um, you know, logically. I, I'm a kind of I'm an Aquarian, so I'm quite like visionary. So I live yep. a lot in those higher dimensions of seeing everything, mm -hmm. working very much in a rational sense. So I so being in the body and being made to sit and like be with things felt very alien to me. Yeah. And throughout that exploration, I started to, you know, I did so much practice on feminine embodiment, understanding the relationship between the masculine and with within me and the feminine. Um, I married myself, so I've got a, my ring on today. That's an oh wow, okay, adornment piece. Yeah. So I, I actually came into sacred. Congratulations, union. by the way. Yeah, I know it's the best <laughs> marriage I've ever had. <laughs> oh, okay. But then all of these parts of me wanted to be celebrated and seen, and and yeah. so I had a, I had an actual ceremony with, wow. with women there, and and yeah, and it was just taking a vow to yourself I think yeah. is such an amazing uh, amazing step to empowerment uh, yeah. which I never had you know because I feel the the overculture really demands us to be infantilized to it and mm -hmm. so we're always codependent to um you know what we should what should we be doing in society yeah, yeah. or yeah. you know norm yeah. 
Um, And so for me, it was like, how can I opt out of that and really come home to what I need as a human, as a soul? And so marrying myself was a big step. Um, I've totally lost my train of thought now. You asked me lots of questions and I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? It is is quite interesting you say about um, kind of conforming, I suppose, because the industry is full of conforming isn't it do you know what I mean I mean whether or not you're a consumer you know you're looking at your peers especially as people consume products you know certainly younger people I know I was guilty of it in the day I wanted to fit in I wanted to conform I wanted to be like everyone else and and actually to step back and also for brands as well to step back and really analyze themselves and analyze their own values he's so so important and you know Mm. credit to you for doing that that's fantastic that's really really impressive I know what you asked me. You asked me about my dream client. So, you know, who, so, you know, women, my dream client, I mean, what I attract at the moment is many women that are going through a transition, Mm -hmm. whether that transition may be menopause and, and, you know, aging and, or whether that transition is just had having a baby and, and coming into like a new, um, a new realm or a new chapter within their life. And so I, I seem to attract because I guess because of my experience and my language and the way that style for me is more about um, a pathway to finding yourself, to anchoring who you are now mm. rather than, you know, many of us, and I call them like the hungry ghosts in our wardrobes, but many of us have, you know, 80% of the clothing that we don't wear is almost like old versions of ourselves sure, you know, yeah. that we've brought into and and why have we bought into that yeah. you know, many, many of times they've got clothing tags still on them mm-hmm. but we're waiting to be that person or we're waiting we're you know we're um held in a in an old paradigm really of ourselves and mm-hmm. and that feels contracted that feels a bit trapped and and many times women just don't know how to work with what they have already yeah. you know there may be those clothes just sitting there and they just don't know how to work it so that they can get use out of it. You can't, you know, they can wear it. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the women, yeah, that are my dream clients are women that are potentially entrepreneurs or people that have their own businesses sometimes, but maybe they feel between roles, like a bit yeah. like I felt like they they have, we, as women, we're holding, we're holding a lot of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But it's how do you self-sustain first and so that you can, like I've said before, you can give to others so Mm. you feel completely full in your own being and then you can extend that out. So it's finding that inner realm of beauty that you can tap into every day. Mm. And that comes through the art of adorning ourselves. You Mm. know, that comes through looking after ourselves, devotional practices, towards feeling good Mm, and that's a that's a practice and discipline yeah yeah so is there anyone in your field then Kerry because obviously I know you've you you speak to lots of people in lots of different countries all over the world but is there anyone doing what you do for guys or not so I don't see this out there and I've to be honest you know I have probably on my Instagram and social media I probably have about I'd say 30 percent men Okay. And out of when I put a post on about this work, guys DM me all the time mm. about celebrating um, bodies. You know, they, I feel like 
a lot of men actually want women to feel liberated and free in their own body and be really um, connected to to themselves. So I get kind of a lot of those in the DMs of guys going, yeah, you know, women, you know, women should feel like that. And then I I also get guys that are saying, we need this as well. Can you work Mm. with me? So I, Mm. and I get like um, husbands of the the people that I work with saying, can you work with my husband on this? Because I feel like there is a journey for men to Mm. align with their soul essence and how they feel with what they wear as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's another business stream there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stream. You're giving um, me a list for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is really interesting. I know you've got two boys as well. And how are they starting to um, kind of come to terms with clothing and fashion? And is that something that you're encouraging? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we went vintage shopping last weekend. And so oh, cool. definitely trying to get them into the mindset of this vintage <laughs> resell kind of yeah. world. Yeah. So we're not buying new. Yeah. And we're looking at actually um, some trainers at the moment, but I'm saying, can we look at, can we find them secondhand? And I know right. that sounds a bit, you know, for, guy, for boys, it's like, I want the brand new shiny ones. Yeah. But then when you look, you can see uh, some of them have been brought by mistake. So, it's like new with tags and stuff like that. So you can, it's, you don't have to buy new all of the time. So it's trying to get into the teenage psyche that, you know, it's buying new doesn't mean it's better. Yeah. So I'm trying to really, you know, get him into that, that mindset. And then he's actually set up his own mood board on Pinterest with the kind of style that he wants, which I think is great to get, you know, to rewire them that you, it's up to you. Like mm. you can be empowered in whatever you desire. Like there's so much out there. What is it that you like? And and so he started to really think about that now. And he's, he's got this kind of luxy sportsy kind of thing going on. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> in a few years time, maybe he can run some, uh, run some workshops for some guys. That would be amazing. So. Wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Pass the reins on. Definitely going to work for me. Cause he's like, mommy, no, let's just do a bit of tweaking with this. He's already got it. <laughs> in him you know it's amazing brilliant oh that's yeah. so cool that's so cool well listen as always Kerry it's been an absolute delight I just want to ask you you know I know you're very passionate about what you do and you speak with such great authority about you know you really have an in-depth knowledge of why you do what you do but how do you summarize that on a daily basis how do you keep on point how do you kind of get your head in the right space mm. I think I always summarize it to be beyond image, beyond personality, beyond identity. Mm -hmm. So many stylists talk in the language of of these things, you know, image consultancy. It's all about your personality, finding, you know, finding your identity. For me, it's like, how do we detach from what the identity should be? Yeah. I'm interested in your being and how you feel. So for me, there's, it's got to have a symbolic resonance. Sure. Which, is, which is about coming home to the soul of you, which has a blueprint of its own, which has a, a feeling and a vibration of its own. How do we dress from that vibrationary um, energetic field? So for me, my work is is different to many stylists out there because I look beyond the um, I'm not going to project to you exactly what you should be wearing it's from more a trend like point of view, yeah. it's more like pulling yeah. it out of people from a trend okay. point of view and from a an aesthetic 
find it's about really this person or human really feeling like what wants to come through me now and mm-hmm. who am I now so there's a, a bit of a journey of like finding yourself now mm. having been through you know life in however you know however old you are and then maybe even looking at your heritage and you know finding those maybe cultural pieces that you've bypassed and I know mm. I did so that is part of my personal journey. So much of what I teach comes from my own embodied experience of what I've explored and what yeah. I've, you know, what has really helped me to access my sense of style and define it. So yeah. it's not been defined by or prescribed by anybody else. This is about me, yeah. um, me presenting uh, my greatest or highest version of me. Um, beyond what is projected as great out there. Sure. Okay. And what? So fascinating. Honestly, I'm just trying to take it all in. It's all coming at me. My mind is all over the place. Um, what What are you working on at the moment, Kerry? What What kind of have you got planned for the rest of this year? Is there anything kind of standing out? Yeah, I'm. I'm in talks about creating some sort of app around okay. this. I'm talking about some sort of tech around what my work and what I bring together because these worlds are quite, they can be quite conceptual sometimes mm, yeah. and I want to make it very accessible. Yeah. Um, so I'm just in talks around, around creating something like that. I also have a brand directory that I'm working on and f- my work, I feel feeds into the brands where actually tapping into what how the consumer feels not just mm-hmm. what they look like or what their demographic is it's more about you know them as a soul and how and what brings them to life as yeah. a soul and so that you know i feel like that is not really being looked at and it's not really being you know brands seem to be projecting to to the consumer you know or the citizen this is what the trend is this is what we provide yeah However, what about the feedback and what about how the, the consumer feels? And, and is mm. that working from a feeling point of view? Is that working from their essence point of view? So it's actually looking at the consumer rather than just a, a statistic or a tick box and they're in this demographic. It's like, well, but how, what is beyond that? And are the, brand, are the brands quite receptive to that? Are you, have, you, have you spoken to the brands? Are they understanding it? That's the point I'm trying to make. Well, I think so. I've been talking to a few brands, and and you know, I think it's the designers that I I need to talk to around. Yeah, there. because they're probably some, more in tune as well. Yeah, aren't they? With, yeah, I think so because you know the the concepts are coming through them, and then it's being filtered through the brand. And mm-hmm. so I think it's the alliance I feel between stylists and designers. I feel like there has to be now even more embedded in brands stylists need to be in there to say what the because I don't feel body shape is taking in into account no. I don't feel that um you know the the gender conversation is is being taken into account this non-binary and so I I feel like stylists have an insight and they have a dialogue with con- customers especially personal stylists that is maybe not being not doesn't really get ever heard in you know by brands and I feel like designers and stylists to actually meet and have a dialogue would be really 
really super helpful yeah because I, I mean I do color analysis I do body shape analysis I really have a direct insight with what is happening with with different clients so mm-hmm. I feel like that alliance needs to happen for brands yeah no that's good I mean and again they can then design and they can design accordingly can't they you know and and and, and evolve the brand much more with an understanding of the consumer and that's what yeah. everybody wants because I know they want sales but actually mm. if you re-engineer it and you make it more in tune with the with the end consumer you're going to get more sales anyway to some extent but you're going to get the right kind of sales which is really important for for both sides really but um it's fascinating absolutely fascinating so listen we better crack on you've got (laughs) to do you've got you've got people to style and souls to cleanse um listen how can everyone get hold of you kerry what's the best way for people to get in touch yeah so you can check me out on my website which is www.com Kerry Wild, that's K-E-R-R-Y-W-I-L-D-E.com. Mm-hmm. And I also have I have brand consultancy and personal styling on my website. Mm-hmm. And then the main place that I am is Instagram. So it's um underscore Kerry Wild with an E underscore. Okay. So that's where yeah. you can find me. Yeah. Perfect. Brilliant. Anyway, listen, I'll stick all the all the details in the show notes so people can get hold of you and they can find you on Clubhouse. Um, (laughs) That's always a good place to hear more of you. Marvellous. Well, listen, thanks, Kerry. I really appreciate your time. It's just, as always, been a fascinating insight to learning a little bit more about you and what makes you tick and um, and what you're trying to do in your own crusade of a way. So uh, keep up the good work <laughs> and I will speak to you soon. Thank you, Kerry. That's been Thank wonderful. you so much, Warren. Thank, Thank you for all your good work as well. Thank you. Bless you. <laughs> Kerry there, the soul stylist. And don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't have a pen and paper to hand, because all Kerry's details are going to be in the show notes. And she's so open to connecting with and collaborating with like-minded individuals. So reach out to Kerry. Next time, dear listener, I've got a really great treat for you. We're going to be talking to a different type of guest. In fact, we're going to be talking to somebody that's not a designer. They're not a brand owner. They're not a supplier. In fact, they're an artist. I'm going to be having a conversation with a guy called Ian Berry. And Ian is a world-renowned artist that creates absolutely incredible works of art from denim. Literally hundreds of hours sifting through thousands of pairs of jeans just to locate that perfect piece of blue fabric to complete one of his masterpieces. Had a great chat with Ian and we talked about his relationship with brands. We talked about social media. We even talked about NFTs and how they might shape the industry in the future. So until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you soon. Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning, keep listening and keep creative.